0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: We're taking a small holiday break and we'll be back soon with new episodes. In the meantime, here's a classic interview to keep up the learning as we make our New Year's resolutions. Shares for Beginners Everyone wants to get rich quick. I would
2: too if I could. But getting rich slowly is far better than going broke quickly. If you can understand the fundamentals and work slowly through that process, you will be far, far better off. I can't give guarantees, but I have a really, really high conviction that adding regularly to a quality portfolio
1: of stocks is the best way I know to get rich over a very long term. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. My guest today is the star of stage, screen and podcast, Scott Phillips. Hello, Scott. Hey, yeah, Phil. How are you? Good, good. not sure about
2: stage, mate. Stage, it might be a bit too much, but I'll take well, screen and podcast. I don't
1: know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think after the podcast,
1: we might revert back to traditional go. media. I like it. I like it.
2: Do a bit of Shakespeare, we should be okay.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, it is. Motley Fool is a Shakespearean reference, nice. isn't it? Well done. It is yeah, indeed. Yeah, I do my research. So. You have. Well done. Scott is the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer in Australia and runs the the Motley Fool share advisor, million dollar portfolio, and everlasting income services. Before that, you had a successful career in the finance industry. Thank apparently, <laughs> <laughs> I've been reading a social media post recently about your investing don'ts. So mm. let's go through these one by one. Investing success might just owe more to what you don't do rather than what you do do. That's <laughs> right. Do 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 do. we it's <laughs> all the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it is true, isn't it? Yes. There's a lot of don'ts. So um, let's go through them one by one. Don't trade too often.
2: Right. So this is really important. I think for most investors, it's so easy to get caught up with the media and, frankly, the brokerage ads and you know the take a position type ads, or Mm -hmm. you should do this, do that. um, You know, trade in, trade out. There's very much a sense that if you can be active, you'll do well. In my experience, in most people's experience, it's exactly the opposite. If you keep your brokerage and your taxes down, you find good businesses and you hang on, let them do their thing that tends to be where success comes from. My biggest mistakes have been actually things like selling too early rather than selling too late or selling too frequently. And so that idea of just be sensible, be slow, I tend to like to say buy slow and sell even slower. In other words, take your time to buy, sell more slowly. My average holding period must be, I suppose, six, seven years for the stocks I own. Um, just you know, getting it right, letting it do its thing,
1: leaving it alone, that can be one of
2: the really key success stories when it comes to
1: investing. Yeah, it was interesting. I, I I tell this story. I'm a member of the. I became a member of the Australian Shareholders Association. Yes. And um, at one of their meetings, which are great fun, mm. <laughs> and these wise old foxes. And um, this one guy was explaining, just treat it like a garden. Yeah. Where you just like that. you know water it frequently, you mm-hmm. know, by adding mm-hmm. to it and. Yes. Um, about once a year, do some weeding and, that, and then sit around for it. That, that's it, right? Really enjoy is. the
2: garden. Yeah yeah, 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 You don't get more from the garden by being more active. Mm. You plant the seeds, you, you water them, you let them
1: grow, and then just, as you say, sit back and enjoy. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay, let's get on to the next don't, which is don't sell too quickly, though, that you referred to this as well. But what, right. if, it, what if it's a dog? Well, here's the thing,
2: right? So I think it does assume you've done the buying properly. So if you've bought the right companies, generally speaking, everyone's going to make mistakes, right? So there are reasons to sell, as you say. If you've made a mistake, if you think you buy for a particular reason, you look back and go, that was wrong, or that was silly, then sell. There's no point in compounding the mistake by hanging on. But when I say don't sell too quickly, what I'm really talking about here is let time do the work if the company's still doing what it's supposed to be doing. I sold, Domino's is a great example, right? We recommended Domino's for our members, at, I think it was about $6, give or take. Went to 12 ish I can't remember the exact numbers, doubled money for members, felt like a genius. And business going reasonably well. Same store sales started to peter off. This is quite a few years ago now. I thought, right, made my money, double money. Let's get out. Let's move. Let's move on. So I did. Felt like a genius. Looks really good on the on the scorecard. Of course, the shares went from twelve dollars up to at eighty something. I think they're about that now again. So I, I left a sevenfold return on the table, being too greedy and too quick to sell because I kind of thought, well, maybe most of it's done. There's an old saying, you don't go broke taking a profit. That's true. You also don't make a lot of money if you take profits too quickly. And so, look, I've made so many mistakes investing, buying the wrong companies. But frankly, if I'd kept every company I bought, including Domino's and others I sold too quickly, I'd be far, far better off even holding those dogs rather than selling too quickly the dogs and the good stuff and ruining the missed opportunities.
1: I was reading about Domino's recently, was, mm. but in the, uh, in the US, and it's yes. an interesting, um, interesting business because of the profit margins, obviously, on pizzas. Yeah. Um, but I think it was, was it about 10 years ago that the CEO of the company actually said how bad the pizzas were? You have I, you heard
2: about that? <laughs> in the US in particular doesn't yeah. anyone need any favours? You know, it's a funny thing. I think this is where, as an investor, it's important to think about who the customers are, mm-hmm. not what you want to do. Now, I don't mind a Domino's pizza. My young boat loves them, so we get them every now and again.
1: Yeah, probably okay. Often than we should. I would never. But uh, no, right. Well, anyone like, who loves Domino's pizzas, but, but that's yeah. the thing,
2: right? And so that, that's. I think if you think about who the audience is for the product. Yep. I had a mate who's, who said years ago he never buy Fosters because he didn't like VB, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Fosters no longer exists, of course, but. Hundreds of thousands of Australians love VB, and so it's really important to think about not just you know investing in products you would buy yourself. That can be useful, by the way, and a good starting point for investing. But think about what does the rest of the country, or state, or world do? How are they likely to behave? And what are they going to buy? I owned Origin for a while. I, I've never bought an Origin other than for my wife, Origin bag or, or dress or whatever in my life. Um, those businesses that are successful are successful because they appeal to a particular audience. if you understand how well they do that. Whether or not I consume the product in whatever form, um, B2B, you know, um, software companies, same thing, business to business. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to use them directly, but if they work for their customer base, that's really, really important. So getting out of your own head and not thinking about, you know, what would I do, but rather, is there a large enough market? Is that market growing? Does the market like the product? Are they going to spend more on the product? And that's the thing. Domino's, it's cheap. It's easy. It's not the world's best pizza. It's not the world's best ingredients, but they're five or 10 bucks. They're there in 20 minutes. If you're watching the footy, if you're doing whatever, there's hundreds of thousands, probably millions of Australians eat dominoes every month or every six months. There is a really big and growing market there and that's the important thing. So don't get too caught up in your own head of what you would do. Think about what the rest of the country or the rest of the market might do.
1: Okay, another don't. Don't give in to envy or greed. And this is where we're getting into the psychology of things as well, isn't it? And the don't thing is really a psychology story. You know, investing well isn't, it
2: is about what you do to some degree, it is about what you don't do to some degree. It's largely about how you get your head right. Because if you can get the the difference between good investors and great investors, Warren Buffett himself says, if you've got an IQ above a certain amount, sell by IQ points. You don't need it. In fact, it's probably going to hurt you. Because if you're too smart and too capable, you're going to overthink everything. You're going to be so stuck in the the academic process of being right. You kind of miss the basics of get your head right buy good businesses, hold them for the long term, that stuff doesn't require a huge IQ. If you can just get your behavioural components right, you're away. Now, when it comes to greed and envy, it's exactly that story as well, right? Just because your brother-in-law has made some money on a stock doesn't mean you should chase it up. Just because someone else got rich in in a month doesn't mean you should throw away your buy and hold strategy and try and speculate on Bitcoin. You know, there's a very... It's a very tried and true process of investing by being slow and thoughtful. It's the tortoise and the hare. You know, there's a reason Aesop's fable is a cliche these you know, hundreds of years later, thousands of years later. It's, it's very much that story of just being slow and steady. So just because someone else is making some money is not a reason to invest. Just because you want to get rich quick is not a reason to buy that particular stock. Buy it if it's great. I'm not saying that stocks go up, can't keep going up. By all means, buy them if they're still attractive, but don't do it out of fear or greed or envy. Do it out of really smart, thoughtful, cool-headed thinking, which says, "I think this company can be bigger and better. I think the price is attractive. Therefore, I'm buying." Not just, "I can't stand missing out anymore." You know, Tesla's gone through the roof recently. Maybe it keeps going. Maybe it doesn't. Who knows? But over time, you know, if you if you buy it for the right reasons, by all means, buy Tesla. If you don't like it, don't buy it. But don't buy any of those companies just out of
1: fear or greed. A lot of listeners, and I can hear the disappointment in their messages (laughs) when we're we're talking because. I'm attracting beginners to this podcast. Yes, excellent. And they come on because they've heard something. Yeah, they've heard something at a barbecue. Someone's bought some afterpay, and they've um, made a, you know a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, that's out. right. Yeah, you know, that whole oh, story. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you sort of then show them the reality. <laughs> you say about what the reality of investing, <laughs> okay, and it's yeah. almost like the shoulders slump yeah. in, the, in the message. Yeah, but yeah. this is this is part of the process, isn't it? It's it is. for beginners to sort of okay, their interest is peaked in the markets, yeah. but then. We're trying to give some reality, a reality yeah. check to them. Yeah. That's
2: right. And your podcast is a fantastic resource for these people oh, because okay. it is. No, no, it is because there are so many people who, I mean, what I love about your podcast, what I fear with investing is if you don't know much about it and you get your interest gets peaked for some reason and you jump in and you make your first trade, that, that one will probably determine your, your future direction. If you lose a lot of money, you might give up. If you make a lot of money, you might think this is easy and start speculating. The, you know, it's so difficult To get people to that point. I mean, I've had so many people who've said to me, oh, the stock market's a casino. My old man was a bloke who said, it's a casino. It's all the smart money over there. You can't possibly make any money. There are so many preconceptions about investing. And as you say, we're helping people get from the point of, I might be interested to." How do I do it well? And if they listen to your podcast regularly, if they listen to other people who are smart, capable experts who are just saying, look, let me help you slowly get rich, You know, everyone wants to get rich quick. I would too, if I could. Mm. But getting rich slowly is far better than going broke quickly. And so if you can understand the fundamentals and work slowly through that process, you will be far, far better off. As you say, I do feel people who say, well, hang on, I thought I was here to get rich quick. I thought I was here to get the (laughs) next whatever, pick company X, Y, Z. It is so tempting to do, right? I can't give guarantees, A, because it would be incorrect, B, because I'm a licensed financial advisor and I get fired for doing so. But I have a really, really high conviction that adding regularly, to a quality portfolio of stocks, is the best way I know to get rich over a very long term. Not tomorrow, not this year, not even in five years time. But if you regularly invest in quality businesses, the trajectory of the market is up. Yes, there are pullbacks. We know that the GFC or the COVID recession were examples of the market really having trouble. But over any longer period of time, the average return is phenomenally large if you just let it do its thing. So if there's one message for all of this that we're having, and you're doing the same with the podcast, uh, but the key message is just keep it simple. Make sure as you invest, you do it smartly and thoughtfully. Don't rush after the latest thing. Don't start speculating. Don't start letting impatience take over. Do it properly. Do it slowly. Do it thoughtfully. And I know that sounds super boring. I get it. I really do. But I promise you, your future self will thank you for it if you just resist the temptation to overtrade or to, to try and chase the latest thing.
1: So you think it's worthwhile investing directly in shares, directly in um, in companies, because ETFs make it very easy these yeah, days. Yeah. But you think that it's a balance between ETFs and quality no, companies, or yeah. just do ETFs? So here's the thing. I am I'm, I'm really lucky. The company I work for lets me be honest rather than having to push the company line.
2: And I don't not the company line's bad, by the way. So look, my business is if people want to pick stocks, they join one of on my, my services, my company makes money, that's how I get paid, right? So that's all that, that's real. I'm also allowed to say, by the way, for most people, ETFs might be the best option. And that's okay. If you don't join a monthly full service, great. I hope you're really super successful. You've got a free podcast. I mean, yeah, we want people to join and we want to make some money, but I'd far rather them actually, you know, if it came to, if my boss said to me, look, you, you can't do that anymore. What you can do is story about the shares we recommend. I'd give it up and go and do something else. And he wouldn't, which is the beauty of it, right? So
0: oh, great. ETFs yeah. are
2: fantastic. ETFs are wonderful. They're instant diversification. They are broad diversification. They are super low cost. They're an easy thing to add to regularly. If your listeners do nothing other than that, I'd be stoked, mate. Like if they don't want to invest in shares, great, don't do it. Buy an ETF, please do that. Do nothing else and do that, wonderful, right? Now, I will say, and you've probably said before, but ETFs, I want to give one quick warning on ETFs, and that is that they used to call them index funds back in the day, and you buy an exchange-traded fund or an ETF, that was a broad index fund. You buy an ASX 200 ETF or SP S&P 500 ETF. These days, you can get an ETF for anything, so it's just literally an exchange-traded fund. It doesn't have to be an index fund anymore. There are triple bear leverage gold ETFs, right? So just because it says ETF doesn't make it good, Um, I'm sure you've said that before. but So that's important to remember. So yes, buy a broad-based, low-cost index ETF. If I could get everyone in Australia to do that, I'd I'd be the happiest man in the world. I think they're a fantastic, fantastic investment. You asked the question, I do think you can do even better with shares. You can do even worse with shares, by the way. So they are are riskier options. They are more volatile options. They can be better options. Warren Buffett made his fortune, not by buying ETFs, but by buying shares. Um, But plenty of people lose money buying shares as well. So if you know what you're doing, if you're being thoughtful and slow, if you're getting into it slowly you probably should start with an ETF base, honestly. And then as you get more knowledge, more information, go and buy one share in a company mm. and see how that goes. Experience that, learn about that. And then if that works, go and buy a second or a third one. Now, I also would say, by the way, find a trusted advisor who you can trust to give you great advice. Understand their incentives too, by the way, which is a whole different kettle of fish. But ETFs are a fantastic, fantastic tool. I wish more
1: people use them for sure. When you say talking to an advisor, yeah. is that a financial advisor or is it a broker? I mean, because it kind of, you can, get, yeah. you can go a lot of ways. You really in can. This. Yeah. And there's
2: no easy answer to that, Phil. A financial advisor who can give you a holistic answer is the best place to start. But it's very expensive, life. isn't it? It is. And can I say to your listeners, please pay the money. So there are different financial advisors who are paid differently, right? You want someone who you're going to pay for their time, who aren't getting paid by anybody else for anything else. they've gone through the worst of that. In the bad old days, brokers and advisors would get kickbacks from every man and his dog, right? You'd never go to a doctor who said, look, I only prescribe Pfizer products. Mm. You'd go to a doctor who said, I'm going to look after you. You pay me. I don't get paid by the drug companies. Imagine imagine going to to the Pfizer's doctor or to AstraZeneca's doctor or to Glaxo's doctor. You you wouldn't do it because you feel, hang on, what's the chance that that company's got the right thing? We went to financial advisors in the past. You went to effectively financial salesmen. They should never have been allowed to be called advisors. Now, most of that's gone, but the big groups still get kickbacks from different financial institutions. We know, for example, a big banks, about 60 to 70% of their recommendations happen to be their own bank's product. Now, do the maths on that. What are the odds that every client who went to a big bank financial advisor, that bank's product happened to be best for them? Odds of that are really, really small, right? So just be careful about incentives. I would only go to a financial advisor who I paid upfront and who rebated every other commission or check they got back to me as the customer. That costs money, mate. So let's let's be really, really clear. That will cost you upfront, but pay the money because you know you're getting absolutely 100% unbiased advice or as unbiased as they can be. No one is completely unbiased, but you're getting the best possible, least biased advice. So your point about a broker, what does a broker make their money from? They make their money from trades, right? So even if they don't think they're going to, a broker wants you to trade more. The more you trade, the more money they make. Mm. The less frequently you trade, the less money they make, even if they're subconsciously doing it. They've convinced themselves that you trading is a good idea, so just be a little bit careful with getting advice from brokers. Now, if you want advice on how the market works, they're great people to talk to you because they're experts in their field. Yeah, but a financial they're advisor breathing who, it every day, aren't they? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yep. But a financial advisor who's paid by you to give advice to you in your best interest is the single best place to start. Now, they're going to give you advice on structure. They're going to give you advice on wills and insurances in terms of your financial life. They're your financial doctor and they're great people. Yeah. You don't want to pay too much, of course, in total because you don't, to, you don't want to lose too much money down the drain doing that. But they're they're going to be your best port of call. And look, I don't do that. I'm not a personal financial advisor. We give general financial advice. So I'm not I'm not trying to blow my own tires up here or say people should come to the Motley Fool because I can't help them. Um, but, but that's the very, very best way to get you yourself set in the right direction. And a good advisor, by the way, will also help you with some of those behavioral things about keeping calm, being patient.
1: So if you find a good one, stick to them. They're worth their weight in gold. And a lot of those upfront costs are basically compliance costs. Yeah. That's yeah, not right. going straight into their pockets. Is that? They do I mean, yeah, look, They have to do a lot of work oh, yeah. to go over your situation, don't they? They do. And these days, look, they have to provide
2: multi, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 page statements of financial advice. Mm-hmm. And for the right reasons, uh, the problem with rules, right, they're made for the lowest common denominator. So you have to do a 60 page document because if you don't, someone's going to be shonky. But... The creation of that, the understanding of all the components to that, your risk tolerance, your objectives, your circumstances, how many kids have you got, how many dependents have you got, what's your mortgage like. It's a really complex thing. And particularly to get up to speed, that can be a really difficult thing. But as I said, if they're doing it well, really, really worthwhile.
1: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. Okay, let's move on to the last don't, which is don't let the story overwhelm the fundamentals.
2: Yeah, now this one's a really tough one. And you know what? It's really tough right now because we're seeing a lot of stocks over the last, I suppose, three or four years. I almost say right over, I mean, this week or today. Um, we're seeing a lot of companies whose stories are becoming the stock, right? And so that is, um, I'll pick up, I'll pick up some, some nice obvious ones, right? The afterpay story everyone's using Afterpay, or the Tesla story, everyone's gonna be driving electric vehicles, or more importantly, the lithium story, everyone's gonna be using batteries, therefore they need lithium, therefore lithium miners are great. That can be a really nice starting point. Sometimes that's right, by the way, sometimes that's completely true. And the story gives you a clue about a great investment. So I'm not saying don't do it or don't ignore it completely. That's why I said overwhelm rather than don't listen at all. I wanna give you a simple example. Back in 1970, if you'd have told me that the number of airline travellers pre-COVID, of course, was going to go up 10,000-fold. I would have mortgaged my house, my car, or sold my children, and I would have bought airline stocks. Because obviously, if airline travel is going to go up that much, I'm going to make a fortune, right? If I'd have done that, I would have gone broke about three or four times between then and now. And you say, how is that possible? And the answer is the story was right. Even if I got the story completely right, the fundamentals of airline travel are it's a commodity business, it's oversupplied, there are always free seats, and airlines don't make money. Yeah, Again, is the story right? Yes. Did it give you a great investment? Absolutely not. And so that's where a real disconnect between the two. Again, even think about back to the dot-com time, right? Some of those companies went broke in 1999. Their business models actually exist today. So there was a business called pets.com in the US. It was the poster child of stupid internet ideas. Except guess what? Amazon does billions of dollars in pet, minutes probably, in pet merchandise these days. Oh. So the idea wasn't a terrible. It was a brilliant idea. Mm. They weren't wrong. They were just early. But again, so the story was right. But the fundamentals were at that point, you couldn't get scale, you couldn't get price, you couldn't turn into a viable business. And so, again, the story is a nice indicator of there might be something here, but don't just buy the story. Don't buy the cool, sexy, popular thing that everyone's talking about. Make sure you know there's a fundamental underpinning. And we say fundamentals in, in investing, we're talking about things like sales and profits, by the way, <laughs> those, those, those boring things. Right. revenue. How about that? Yeah, imagine that. You know, those things that actually do matter for businesses that help you work out okay, there's a story. Am I seeing evidence that story is actually turning into real value for shareholders? And that's when the fundamentals start to come into play. If you get both, that's a really good thing, by the way, because if the story is real, then you have got something, but the story
1: alone just can't get you across the line. So with lithium, in the case of lithium, yeah. I'm no expert here, but I believe that it's because lithium is very common mm-hmm. mineral, uh, very common element, and yeah. um, so the supply can be turned on very quickly, yes. and that's an important part of it as well, isn't it? That the supply of something. Yeah. And that's what you call like commodification. Something becomes a commodity. Yes. And that's a really important concept that I've been learning about myself recently. Tell me a little bit about that. So this is super, super important.
2: I don't like mining companies, generally speaking. And the idea of a commodity, we say, oh, that's a commodity these days. What we're actually saying is that's cheap. It's substitutable. It's easily accessible. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had a product that had those characteristics, I wouldn't be expecting a good business out of it, right? Uh, if I'm going to sell you know, fresh air, I'm not going to make that much money out of it because it's kind of around, easy to get to, and it's free. So I'm not going to be able to sell that. Now, if I'm mining lithium right now, I can see a massive growth, like the airline story. There is going to be, I'm absolutely sure, a massive growth in the demand for lithium over the next 20 years. I think electric vehicles are probably the future. I think we're probably going to have a, an incomplete electric fleet by 2040-something, probably. And at that point... Someone will go, see, I told you how big lithium was going to be. And that's absolutely true. But the flip side is, if the supply of lithium keeps up, there's no reason for the price to go up. But if the price doesn't go up, where's the profit come from? Oil is the simplest example. If you, again, like the airline story, in the 1910s and 20s, if you have said, hey, by 2015, 16, pre-electric vehicles, every car, millions of cars, well, they sell 80 million cars a year, I think, around the world are going to run on on oil and all these ships and all these planes. And oil is going to be fantastic. Oil, inflation adjusted, sells for about the same price it used to back in 1910, 1920. Amazing. And it's simply (laughs) because people have supplied so much more of it to keep up with the demand. And if you haven't got a scarce resource, you're not going to get any profit out of it. If you can't get any profit out of it, you can't make money owning the shares. So I hope lithium booms. I hope we end up all driving electric vehicles for their cool cars and they're good for the environment. I hope that's true. I don't believe we're going to make a fortune buying lithium miners, though, because the commodity is so abundant, as you rightly say, easy to get to. And in fact, we will get cheaper to get to as we get to more
1: scale. So in fact, the cost will probably go down rather than up of getting lithium out of the ground. Something I'm asking all of my guests now is, how do you ensure that you don't lose money?
2: Okay, so if anyone tells you that they there is an answer to that question, they're lying to you. You can't do it. There is no possible way to ensure you're not losing money. There is no scenario under which you can guarantee and the avoidance of loss. You can have money stolen, you can have fraud, you can have government breakdown, you can have currency devaluation. There's a trillion ways you can lose money. So very optimistic start, by the way, but, but be really, really clear. If anyone says, oh, here's how you do it, uh-uh. Now, they can minimize the chance of loss, that's different, but you can't avoid it. When it comes to shares, there's a couple of things. The first is that my firm belief, this is ETS, by the way, and shares, so the, the stock market generally in whatever form. Over time, companies invent new and better ways of doing things. Now, that can be better mousetraps. That can be new mousetraps. The iPhone itself simply didn't exist conceptually until Steve Jobs came up with it. Businesses find ways of improving the human condition. That's no charity thing, right? A lot of them do it for money. Some of them do it for just for the pure art of it. You know, penicillin was, was discovered and that's been a, a game changer. The iPhone's making a fortune for Apple shareholders. Has it been good for the world? I guess that's an open question we can all discuss later. <laughs> um, so if businesses continue to find better and newer ways of doing things, it is going to advance human progress. If that happens, companies are going to make more money. It's always been true. Again, could it stop at some point? I guess. But if you look at the arc of history, that's always been true. So if if companies continue to make more things and therefore more money, if that remains true, that's step number one. Step number two is those companies that are successful are most likely to list on the stock markets. And if that's also true, that's two reasons why I think company profits will continue to go up into the future share prices are volatile massively volatile but again over time the price of a share will follow the value of the company which is determined by its profits so you're getting this nice line between activity profits and share prices that's always again been the case thus far i can't promise you it won't change no one can my best guess is that continues to be the case so if that's true over time and the market keeps going up that's my bet on making money in shares so In the short term, anything can happen. We've seen the COVID recession. We saw the GFC. Shares fell 38% in Australia, I think, in the COVID recession. Um, That will happen from time to time. Over the long term, though, shares tend to go up. So that's the first thing. Second thing is be diversified. Now, whether that's a Broadly diversified ETF, whether it's a broadly diversified portfolio of shares, you want to have 10, 15, 20, 25 shares, um, individual companies in your portfolio to be properly diversified. So if one does go broke, and they do from time to time, it's not going to destroy your portfolio. So this is a game of numbers and probabilities, knowing that some will go, we can all name them, One tell HIH, plenty of others besides have and will go broke. Well, ancient but history. <laughs> exactly, right? Well, and that's the thing, there's got to be new ones too yep. soon. Mm-hmm. Um but the biggest companies continue to add value over time. So it's really important. When actually, what I like about your question is it's important not to focus on the individual company, but the market or your portfolio. If you're expecting all the companies to do well, you're on a hiding to nothing. If you think they're all going to go up in share price, you're on a hiding to nothing. I've recommended, I want to say, maybe 90 companies in my time running share advisor. I'd say about 40% of those have actually lost money. That's And that's about average. Of the 60% who've made money, they've beaten the market thus far, touch wood. Um, So, again, we're not trying to avoid loss because the only way to avoid loss is leave it under the bed, right? And you're not going to make any money either. So be diversified, be long-term, focus on the businesses, not the share prices, and like we said before, ignore the stories, focus on the fundamentals.
1: It's interesting because uh, talking about the stories and talking about... um Things improving like I was an article I was just thinking about that I was reading recently was about robotics and because oh, yeah. of COVID, how much robotics has suddenly um, got a boost behind course, it. Yeah. The afterburners have come on to, to gain more efficiencies. Now a lot of people think of the story of robotics. Mm. They think robot, you know, and there's you can buy robotic ETFs and there's robotic yes, companies. Yeah, yeah. I believe some of those robotic ETFs you've got to be careful of because. They're actually only investing in companies that use robotics as opposed to the real businesses. Um, But again, this is something where efficiencies um, will drive – well, they drive profits and Mm -hmm. revenue, but they Mm -hmm. also drive um, improvements in the human condition. And we just have to see the way things get delivered these days compared to in the past.
2: Yeah, that's right. And standards are living continue to improve. It's always been the case that people are freaked out about the fact that if we have robots or automation, it's going to cost jobs. And it does in some industries, right? There aren't many people in the Australian textile industry anymore. It's all robots or it's done overseas. That's absolutely mm-hmm. true. But it's created a standard of living that's let us spend money on cafes and restaurants, on travel, on personal services like cleaning or car washes. We're always going to have that money to spend, and that money's going to be spent in very different ways. And that's part of the story as well, that that steady improvement is not only have company profits improved. If you're someone who doesn't love the capitalist idea, okay, fair enough, the living standards have improved phenomenally in the last 15 years, let alone 30, let alone 50, let alone 400. And so that is not only the result of capitalism, but it's part of it. And a well-regulated capitalism, and again, that's a whole different conversation, um, is really, really important. And it is the mechanism by which we've been able to harness some of these improvements. And that really has made a massive difference. As you say, in the human condition, the automation we're enjoying now means things are cheaper and easier. And we don't just save the difference. we go and spend it somewhere else on something else. And as long as that remains the case, and I think it will, that's how you get that, that progress we're talking about and why. And it's also why some of the growth stories are important. So again, I say don't focus on the story stocks. I am talking about one of the things I do for picking stocks is I look for companies and the phrase I use is more relevant to more people. Simple. So what am I saying? It's, it's growing, right? The same people are spending more money with that company and more people are being attracted to that company because they're doing something they like. It's a really nice way of just as a very simple starting point of saying, has that company got something that's worth looking more into? And if you can grow meaningfully by attracting more people and getting your current customers to spend more, that's a really good sense that this company's got something that people like and will
1: keep using. Tell us about The Motley Fool, your podcast, and your reason for being here. (laughs) All right, that's a big story. How long have you got? No, I'm kidding. Um, So look, The Motley Fool, uh, the name comes from
2: Shakespeare, Mm -hmm. as we talked about at the beginning. And uh, The Motley Fool was the court jester in Shakespearean times. There was a scene in As You Like It, The Shakespeare play, uh, which is a fool, I see a fool in the forest, a motley fool. And that's where the name comes from. Our co founders, by the way, are English majors, not finance nerds. And we think that kind of as a a style, as a business, makes us a little bit different. So we're here for individual investors. Um, The only way I get paid is if our members join and then hang around. We get a tiny bit of money from advertising, like it's tiny, tiny as a percentage of our business, but um, website advertising and podcast advertising and stuff. But the vast bulk of it comes from our members liking what we do and hanging around long enough to keep paying us. And if they don't stay, we don't make any money. And that's what I talked earlier about financial advisors making their money. I want the only people to pay me to be the people who take my advice and get value from it. Because if they don't, I'm doing something wrong. If they hang around, I'm doing something right. But either way, they call the tune. And so I'm there to serve them. And that's what the Motley Fool is about. We pick stocks for uh, individual investors. I mean, anyone can join, but individual investors, mom and dad investors, are the people who join us to say, hey, I want some help. working we'll out which stock to pick. And we will tell them which ones we think they should buy, why we think they should buy them, when we think they should sell. We're not a financial advisor in terms of a full service financial advice, but we're a stock picking mob. And our job is to help them find the best stocks. Now, as I also said earlier, I'm very, very lucky. I get a very big roving brief, right? So I'm here doing a podcast. Um, maybe some listeners will like the service and look us up. I don't really care if they don't do or don't. Hopefully they just get value from the podcast. But you know, I get to do some of this stuff on your podcast, on, on other media platforms to try and spread the value of investing. And that's, again, what you're doing. I'm so excited about your podcast as well is this is very much about helping Australians just kind of get it. You asked about me. I joined the Motley Fool because I actually was a customer. We only had a US business back then. I learned to invest from the people at the Motley Fool. And I kind of, when it came to Australia, I was like, you know what? I want to come and do this for Australians. I want people that I know to be able to have access to something that helps them invest, not just the dodgy broker or the dodgy advisor who's trying to get their pound of flesh, to use another Shakespeare phrase, uh, but to, uh, to actually you know, help them learn and understand, demystify what otherwise can be really stupidly complex finance. And again, if we can do that as a group, then Australians are much better off a much better place because individual investors can invest and do well.
1: Scott, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for the invitation, Phil. Appreciate it. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. Shares for Beginners is
2: for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice, and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker
1: only, not shares for beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances, or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast.
0: Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable.